Hi there, this is Structured Rambling, a podcast about literature, ideas in literature, the texts, the themes, the virtues and beyond. My name is Paul. I'm a reader, a writer, a teacher, a fan, and a pig owner. Good day to you, everybody. Hope everybody is having a good whatever time it is. However, I am accompanying you in your daily life. Today, I'm going to be talking about the first book of The Lord of the Rings. I have already done an analysis of The Hobbit, and I have promised to throw my hat into the rather busy and full ring of podcasters who talk about J.R. Tolkien and his realm, but I am going to reach out into it and put my two bits in, throw my hat into that busy ring. Um, And so today I'm going to talk about the Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R. Tolkien is the book that shouldn't have worked. And yes, I am aware a nerd like me should call it only the Lord of the Rings because I should know better. This is not one novel. This is the first two books of a single thousand-page volume called, by its author, The Lord of the Rings. The division is artificial. It was forced on the author by post-war production costs and to be more consumer-friendly in price. Great. My note. All true. My favorite copy of The Lord of the Rings because I do own multiples, is in fact my green single volume with Gandalf on the cover from 1999 or so, which I read while traveling in Europe in 2001. I know, I've got it, should be referred to as one book. But that all being said, most of us encounter these books as a trilogy. And besides the fact that this is a sensible and more consumable division, This book, the first one, also gets the best title of the three. Two Towers? Which two? And Return of the King? Wow, spoilers. So these first two books of that huge volume, I'm treating as a single novel called The Fellowship of the Ring, okay? And it's the novel the general public waited for for 15 years in a world war, a sequel to the hugely successful The Hobbit. They got that sequel. Sort of. See, there are good sequels and bad sequels. Big sequels and redundant sequels. The vast majority of sequels are disappointing. Most of them are far more ambitious than the original, but every once in a while you get a sequel that retroactively goes back and undoes huge parts of the original. Anybody remember Highlander 2? No? Good. Don't. The story you love becomes obsolete, or at least rethought in a different context. So, imagine you're a Pharisee and the first couple of drafts of the New Testament come across your desk. It's got, it's got to be stressful, reading those Gospels and realizing that you're, well, wrong about everything. Okay. Anachronistic biblical humor aside, that's exactly what is happening here. 
Tolkien's attempt at a Hobbit sequel didn't just get infamously out of his hands, nor did it just take several tries, because every time he finished an idea, he'd go back to the beginning and rewrite everything. To the point where there is an entire history in a dozen volumes of the writing of this text. His son uh, compiled uh, a, a huge mass of textual criticism amassing every draft and variation of all of Tolkien's work. <clears throat> Not only this, this book undid much of The Hobbit. So I was born more than 20 years after the publication of Fellowship, meaning I've never read the original, I had never read the original 1937 Hobbit. Just the one he edited to suit the expanded world he presents in Lord of the Rings. I've since read it, but only after multiple reads of Lord of the Rings. Uh, I probably read The Hobbit twice as a kid before first before the first time I read Lord of the Rings, and I was about 15 or 16 then, I think. So much changes in the former after reading the latter. If you have read The Hobbit and then you read The Fellowship of the Ring, so much of your understanding of The Hobbit is altered. Gollum is revealed to be a corrupted Hobbitish-like thing. His ring is the source of greatest power and evil in the world. And Gandalf's side quest to basically pull him out of the narrative, it, that turns out to be a fight against a necromancer who is revealed to be the series' greatest and oldest, second oldest, villain. Another reason this book shouldn't work is the girth. The slow burningness of it. How long it takes to get going is surprising and, and alarming. The Hobbit is about a single fairy tale creature who is reluctantly drawn into an adventure. He's off on said adventure by the morning of the second day the beginning of chapter 2. In the sequel, which is about his nephew, he, Frodo, is off after 17 years. Or, in book terms, about 4 chapters or 100 pages. The Hobbit has a big cast of characters, but all but the Hobbit, Gandalf the Wizard, and maybe three of the dwarves are just window dressing. They... They meet someone really important as they travel along in pretty much every second chapter. But don't worry, most of those don't matter either by the next chapter. For Frodo, it takes him forever to actually leave the Shire, which has handily been given a name in the time between The Hobbit and The Fellowship of the Ring. He meets lots of hobbits along the way. Some join him, some don't. Some feed him mushrooms, some buy his house. But for the next 12 chapters, that is half of this book. Everyone he meets and everyone he learns about, hears about, and doesn't meet, including those who have been dead for a thousand years, matter. Even those we don't ever see again, like my beloved Tom Bombadil, are going to be mentioned every couple of chapters for the next thousand pages, so you'd best err on the side of memorization just to be safe. 
Oh, and most non-Hobbit folks, the humans and elves, tend to have, you know, between three and seven names or nicknames. You're going to have to know those too. As they get out of the Shire, the four primary Hobbits encounter one of my very favorite and yet one of the most unnecessary characters in the whole universe in the acid trip fairy tale demigod, Tom Bombadil. Tom is indestructible. The Ring of Power, which is the Satan jewelry that MacGuffins this book, has no effect on him. He could easily solve the whole book much faster than the quote-unquote eagle theory, but Elrond conveniently says that Tom doesn't leave his little area. Why? Well, I say because he would rule the world otherwise. He's ridiculous. He wears yellow boots in the mud. He has a hat with a feather in it. He sings nonsense verses built entirely around his own narcissism and continually points out that his marriage is just fine in the passion department after several centuries. He's an odd, odd addition. Bombadil is ridiculous and he does little to propel the story along, acting as a deus ex machina for the four doomed hobbits not once but twice. Unlike Beorn from The Hobbit, who is a parallel to Bombadil in many ways, in his sort of nature, deity, form, his form of being an aloof protector and all, Tom Bombadil never comes back into this story. He's an episode, but doesn't really do the narrative any good. Even Farmer Maggot and Fatty Bolger serve the... Even Farmer Maggot and Fatty Bolger serve to reveal aspects of Frodo's character. See, Tolkien wrote Tom Bobbindale for his kids in a series of wacky poems. They're fun, they're great reading. I totally recommend uh, Tom Bombadil Goes Boating. It was his way of trickling in everything he wrote to his Silmarillion world, because everything he wrote was all connected. Even The Hobbit wasn't originally conceived as, as sort of the tentpole of his sub-creation, but it became an important part of it. But Fellowship is the opening of Tolkien's funny masterwork. And it's the masterwork that shouldn't work. I mean, a hundred pages of Hobbit culture and real estate deals. Frodo waiting 17 years to get going. Any time there's a touch of action, it's followed by pages and pages and pages of inaction. All of the the pre-mountain chapters in The Hobbit follow a pattern of meeting someone, action, meeting someone, action. But The Fellowship, book one, is about four actions to every single The Fellowship Book 1 is about four dozen actions. The Fellowship Book 1 is about four dozen inactions to every single action. Then Book 2 opens up after the many, many meetings we've seen so far with a chapter literally called Many Meetings. This is followed 
by a board meeting and 60 pages of fictional history. This doesn't really become an epic fantasy quest adventure until page 272, which by comparison would have given Drizzt Doerden or the Dragonlance gang time to destroy a dozen rings already with time left over to rip off the entirety of Tolkien, which essentially they do. The people I know who don't finish Fellowship, and it's more often women than men, funny enough, they cite the first nearly 300 pages as the reason. 300 pages of exposition? The length of many very good full fantasy novels just to get going? Forget it! That all makes perfect sense at first, but only at first. Because it's the illogical nature of this novel that sets it apart, makes it great, makes it unique. You have to look back to before, before an entire genre of fiction, an entire island chapters or indigo was dedicated to fantasy, dedicated to basically a genre that was solely built around ripping off Tolkien. Because the root of this novel didn't come from a desire to write a piece of fantasy quest fiction. It started with a vision to write a sequel to The Hobbit. And as time went on, it became clear that he would be rolling both into a larger legendarium he'd started at the Battle of the Somme, and that legendarium was itself created in order to display his own created language. The latter half of the Fellowship novel is worth the wait, as it sets the standard for thousands of rip-offs and cliches. The heroes go on a quest in a multi-race party, or fellowship, and end up in an underground battle. Not quite dungeons and dragons, but caves and fire demons. After all, after all those introductions, we finally settle upon a supporting cast, several of whom we have zero backstory on so far. Gandalf, one character we actually know already, goes from a mentor cliche to a Christ figure and dies. Our heroes escape the caves, and we meet a bunch of people. Elves this time, including the amazing elf queen Galadriel, who is so important that Tolkien would spend his remaining years backwriting her into everything, in, including the Silmarillion, to make her important. So let's pause and consider this character. Not because she's a powerful elf, we've seen lots of those to this point in the novel, but because she's a female with a speaking role. She doesn't actually do anything more than Tom Bombadil does to advance the plot, but she's a woman and she speaks words, and not just in reply to her husband like Goldberry does. I'm not saying Tolkien was a chauvinist because I don't need to. He was. The emphatically old-fashioned kind of chauvinist. He was a Catholic, and he lived and worked at Oxford, meaning that the majority of his time was spent with dudes. In his student years, probably being the right kind of Catholic is all that prevented him from indulging in late-night exploration of the other lads, as allegedly happens at these single gender universities. This would also be the reason that for him, women were inactive things of wonder and mystery. 
And and when people go a-questing, they're all emphatically dudes in his story. The book ends with an argument, a brief chase, a tripping, trippy vision, a trippy vision, a long conversation, and a cliffhanger. Despite the next two chapters, so what would be the opening chapters of The Two Towers, being packed with action, he cuts it off prior to this. The book just sort of stops. This is how modern fantasy was born. This is what an entire subgenre of fiction and gaming has spent half a decade This is what an entire subgenre of fiction and gaming has spent half a century ripping off. A book that shouldn't work. It's enduring. It's timeless. It's persistent. It's unavoidable. I love it. Yes, I lament its lack of significant feminine, but Tolkien and his buddies like C.S. Lewis and all the other Oxford Dons clearly didn't get women. Women were a grand, majestic mystery. They couldn't be characters. They were goddesses. Most of these men only had a mother and fewer than half had a wife. But it's exactly the fact that this wasn't the book he intended to write that it has such staying power. The Fellowship of the Ring was the first third of a book it took a decade and a half to write, a book that was much more complicated and grander than even the writer expected. It's a simple adventure story meant to explore a created language and a created world that kept unfolding itself as the writer wrote it. It's full of important poetry and really lengthy songs that people are able to just make up on the fly about their present circumstances. I'm always blown away like that. I'm experiencing something right now, so I'm going to write it in iambic pentameter with a perfect rhyme scheme because it's going to show how I feel. These people are geniuses. Fellowship of the Ring is a book that should not work, and yet there are a lot who love it and that love it. And yet there are a lot who love it and... And yet, there are a lot who love it, and those that love it, love it a lot. And it qualifies as a more worthy rereading than most fiction that's out there.